Good morning, IBCD. Good morning, Johan. I, I hear your voice constantly also. So. <laughs> so, um, yeah, today we're going to be continuing in uh, our series, which we started last week, on judgment, mercy, and forgiveness. And as I mentioned last week, these are three areas that I find fascinating very intriguing because there are three areas where the Bible tells us that we get only as much as we give. Uh, with the measure with which we give it out to others, the same measure is applied to us. And last week we looked at judgment, and if you're worshiping with us for the first time or joining us on the live stream, you can find uh, our sermons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so please feel free to subscribe and you get notifications when uh, there is a new sermon available. And as we said, like with judgment, by the same standard with which we judge, and uh, that's the same standard with which we shall be judged. And we explored what the difference was between judging sin and judging people. And the same as for mercy. Today we're going to be focusing on mercy. And we have the parable of the unmerciful servant who um, received mercy from his master but didn't give it out in the same measure. And the mercy which had been given to him was revoked. And in James 2, verse 13, we are told, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, I find always that somehow, as Christians, this sometimes fails to translate into our everyday lives. This plain fact, which is stated over and over in Scripture, that when you are not merciful, or the measure with which you are merciful to others, it's the same way that it's going to be applied to you. And I find often that we give out something else and expect something else from God. We expect a different kind of judgment, a different kind of mercy. Oh, but you're God, you know, you're different than I. Or, you know, for forgiveness as well. And we'll be looking at that next, at that next week. But today we want to look at mercy. And what is mercy? Um, if you look at it in a dictionary, the Cambridge Dictionary says it's a kindness towards a person especially an enemy who is in one's power, right? So someone who is in your power to um, met out judgment upon or who has been judged and um, has to receive the consequences of that, and we can show a kindness towards them. Uh, in the Bible, often mercy is also used a lot in the, with the definition of withholding of punishment or judgment for the sins we deserve. And last week we said, you know, our sin is everything that falls short of God's standard of perfection. Now, the question might come, what's the difference between mercy and grace? These are words which are used often interchangeably, and I find sometimes in Christian circles we get used to words because we've been hearing them for so long. You know, it's like, but if someone asks you, what does it really mean? What does mercy really mean? What does grace mean? What does it mean to bless someone? What is a blessing? What is the glory of God? You know, I think those are things that we kind of use with an intuitive understanding of them, but I encourage you to um, look into them also because I think it's a way we learn and grow in our understanding. And as, as I was looking into this as well, I found that grace is the other side of the coin of mercy. Grace is the bestowing of undeserved favor. So mercy withholds judgment which, you know, would be given because you deserve it, because you're in a position which, um, yeah, 
rightfully, this is what you deserve. And mercy withholds that. And grace is giving you favor, giving you blessing, giving you something you don't deserve, right? And I think that's a fine line there, but we can also always see that they are uh, the same side, uh, the, both sides of the same coin. And this reminded me, um, as I was going through this um, back in school, so I come from Cameroon, as most of you know, and I went through a boarding school there for several years of my uh, school education. Um, so I think that would be what you have here from the classes, I guess, um, 8 or 7 to uh, 13, so those levels. And um, so that's for us what we call the secondary and high school. And being a boarding school, we ate together. So there was usually a big hall, like, you know, the hall where we assembled. And there were tables, and people were broken down into different, hall, um, different tables. I think we were about 18 per table. And the food was served, and each table had a pot with a serving, and uh, people could eat. And for breakfast, it was usually bread, which was baked. And we had loaves, which were baked on campus itself. And each table got, you know, a tray of a specific number of loaves. Now, the school, we had about, you know, a couple of hundred, 700-ish, plus or minus 100, depending on the year. So um, it was always quite some work to distribute that out. And that meant sometimes there was not always the exact amount on each table, right? A table could get more than the 18, and sometimes they would get less and so on. So we had a boarding master who was one of the teachers, and we called that who was responsible for, you know, the feeding, making sure that everything went well. And um, during our breakfast, so after the prayer was said, this was a Baptist school, um, he would, and the food and the bread was being distributed on the tables, um, he would go around, you know, just watching that everything went well, collecting the extras from the tables that had more to redistribute to the ones that had less. But of course, being in a boarding school, um, students wanted to have more than one loaf, right? Not content with your, just your single loaf of bread, you wanted to have a second one. And that was very frowned upon. You were punished for it, and you could forfeit your loaf the next day. But, um, of course, it's, uh, it's cool, and uh, teenagers being teenagers, you know, people would always try to get it, right? And that became a kind of a thing. And, of course, in a boarding school like this, you have kind of a, a mini society, like the way society is structured, you have all the same things. And it was a mixed school, so there were boys and girls uh, in this refectory, in the halls when we assembled. Of, of course, we separate dormitories, but whenever we're in class or to eat uh, or to have service, we're all together. And so, what the boarding master would try to do is anyone who tried to do that, take more than one, he would try to embarrass the person right, in front of the whole school. And of course, being a teenager, you never wanted that to happen, you know, with your friends there, or ah, if you're a boy, the girls were there, and it would be embarrassing. And for girls, it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to lose points in front of the guys, kind of thing like that. So there was this one guy, let's call him James, and uh, one day he decided to take a loaf of bread, an extra one than the one he had. And um, what happened was, normally you would, it would be taken back from you when he found out, so he, the boarding master was going around vigilant on the tables, and he did take one, and he was found out, but because it's a big hall, and I was talking 700 people before, the boarding master could get to the table, what he did was to bite it, right, to take a bite of the loaf of both that he had taken, which meant it couldn't be returned, you know, it had to be left with him. Now, so the boarding master like, then like, just called him out and put him like there on display and like, said, James has given me a bitten loaf, you know, like in front of the whole school. And to this day, whenever we see him, <laughs> we kind of remember that story and quote in the same way because the boarding master had a big, a booming voice. You know, like, James has given me a bitten loaf. James will forfeit his loaf tomorrow. So 
that was kind of, you know, embarrassing for him, but okay, he, kept, he got to keep the loaf, and the next day he had to forfeit his loaf. So the next day we were waiting for that to happen because this is school, you know, from day to day, you know, like this is going to be the talk of the school. And so the next day, to avoid, like, you know, being, having the, the body master come to ask him for it, he decided to be proactive, right? He took his loaf and just went to give it up uh, to the body master. Um, so when he went up to him, like standing in front of the hall, the whole school, he brings it, and the body master looks at him. It's okay. Go and steal no more. You know, like, which was even more embarrassing <laughs> again. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so we never let him forget it. Um, <laughs> and for me, that was like, and I always remembered our body master. He was also an economics teacher, and he was one who was very compassionate. And this act of mercy for me always stayed because, and he didn't, give the student the punishment he deserved for that, but he went further and even allowed him to keep what was no longer his by the right, by the regulations of the school. And that showing him grace, you know, which for us was a humorous story, which we took with us forever, um, but was also a lesson um, that, I, that we kind of took along with us, that he, he chose to show compassion, to show mercy over following the strict letter of the law in that case. And I think it's a similar thing with God's mercy for us. Um, He withholds the punishment we deserve for our sins. In his grace, he gives us the blessings we do not deserve. The Bible tells us he allows the rain to fall on both the farms of the good and the wicked. You know, uh, he allows the sun to rise on both in the same way. And as we all know, none of us deserve any of this, right? We can never be good enough. We can never earn it enough because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you have ever thought any thought which is not pure, you have fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible tells us he who is guilty of breaking a single law is guilty of breaking them all. So we all know deep down we have fallen short of that standard. And we know that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God did not, was not content to withhold the punishment, which was death for our sins, separation from him. But he went further and he made a plan for our salvation so that we could have eternal life, abundant life in him. That is how merciful, that is how gracious our God is. In the New Testament reading we saw today, we, uh, we read about the famous story of the prodigal son. And this was a son who took his share of his father's wealth and decided to squander it. And his father, you know, was gracious enough to take him back. And when you read that story, for me, it's always amazing the depths to which he sunk because sometimes we might not realize it, but for a Jew and for the people who were listening to this story in Jesus' day, for the boy to sink as low as to walk with pigs. So Jews wouldn't touch pigs because they were unclean animals and they would become ritually unclean. They didn't eat them, they didn't touch them. But this boy sank so low as to feed the pigs and actually to desire their food. And that invokes an image for a Jew who was listening to Jesus that sometimes maybe is hard for us to grasp because, yeah, we eat pork and, you know, do... Um, interact with them in a different way than uh, what the customs of that time uh, dictated. But this boy had fallen 
basically to his lowest point. And so he got up. Let's read that passage in Luke 15 from verses 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father went above and beyond just showing mercy. I mean, how many of us today, you know, put yourself in the place of the father, you know, the son who has come while you're still alive, which for me is always kind of an interesting thing, you know, that he asked for his share of the property, you know, and like made a, laid a claim to his father's wealth, even though the father was not like dead and he had to inherit it. But he took that off and squandered it and comes back with nothing. And to receive this kind of reception, and sometimes you look at it and you think, wow, even on your best day, maybe you wouldn't get that. But the father ran to him and was filled with compassion. And while the boy was still giving the words of confession and realizing that even just being a servant in his father's house would be better than the life he had, he was still treated like a son. He was given a ring. He was put, the best robe was put on him. The fattened calf. You know, if you've ever, you know, raised animals or grown a farm, you know, the prized animal was always well tended for, well fed, and for special occasions. And this was a special occasion. This is the kind of mercy that God shows to us in our waywardness, in our disobedience, in the way we break God's law every day, the law to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to be kind, to be merciful. And we break those. We fall short. And every time we come back, every time we come back, we are received as sons and daughters of God. We are not put aside. We are not put away. We are not given the cold shoulder. We are not shown through the back door, right? The father could have done that, and I would have understood it. You know, like, okay, fine. You're welcome back. You're still my son. Here's the, you know, going through the back door and earn your way up again kind of work, you know, and... Prove yourself. But that's not the kind of reception we get from God. God wants to give us an abundant and eternal life. And so he gave the sacrifice of his son out of the compassion and the mercy in his heart so that we can be saved, so that we can enjoy a full and fruitful life with him. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible tells us, so far does he remove our sins from us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 4 to 5 and verses 8 and 9. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We cannot earn God's salvation for us. Because we can never be good enough. 
We cannot work hard enough. We can't be perfect as Christ was. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, God who is rich in mercy, as the Bible says, made us alive even while we were dead. So this is the same as in this story, the father going out to look for the son while the son was still lying with the pigs and eating the pigs' food and saying, come, there is something better. Come, be alive. That's what God has done for us. Even before we knew our need for God, even before we knew how lost, how hopeless our situation was, God had crafted a plan before the foundation of the earth was laid to save us, to show us his mercy. And this mercy we receive freely. And we receive many other mercies from God in our everyday lives. We wake up and go out and come back in. Safe. We have roofs over our heads. In this society anyway for the most part. There are many mercies. We have loved ones, people who care for us. We have friends. Those are the free gifts of God. And we don't deserve it. Our sin is deserving of judgment. But God in his mercy provided a way out for us. A means by which his righteous judgment is fulfilled in Christ on the cross. Because God cannot be untrue to himself. Let every man be a liar and God be true, the Bible says. So his justice must be fulfilled. But he decided to pay the price so that we can be saved. So that we can lay claim to Christ's sacrifice as our own. We can accept it and be seen as righteous in God's sight. Now I'd like you to reflect on that. How much mercy we have received from Christ. Jesus tells also the parable in the Gospels. And as the parable of a man who forgives his servants their debts. One a very large amount and the other one a smaller amount. And then he asks, who do you think loved the master more? And they say, of course, the one who was forgiven more. I think sometimes we fail to have an appreciation of the mercy that Christ has shown us. The mercy that God gives out to us. And that is crucial for us in understanding the measure of the mercy we are expected to give out to others. Because the Bible tells us that we will only receive mercy as much as we have shown mercy. Having been touched by this mercy, how merciful are you to those around you? We are told that God goes after us, leaves the 99 ship and goes after the one. He seeks us out when we go astray over and over again. And how many times in our relationships have we been like, that's it, I'm done. That's the last strike, no more. But God keeps showing us continual mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It's like the timer resets every morning on God's mercy. And we have a fresh dose of it. Do you show that much mercy to those around you? And now let's get practical. What are some ways that we can really show mercy? Because again, it can be one of those words that we throw around, think, oh yes, I'm going to be merciful. Then it doesn't really translate to anything in your life, in my life. 
But I think there are some ways that we can be practical about showing mercy. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but just a few points that we can think about and build upon to our unique situations. And the first one I would say is to be patient with people's quirks. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 2, that we should carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. As IBCD, we are a church that is as diverse as the come. You know, over 25 different nations represented in our congregation, which is a great blessing. And I've loved my time here, you know, getting to know other people, see other perspectives, taste other delicious meals from other countries, see people's traditional attires when we had our cultural Sundays. But that also brings with it the challenge of that we don't see the world all through the same lens. And the process of expanding our horizons is sometimes filled with friction because someone rubs you off the wrong way. Someone says something that for them, they don't process as hurtful, but it strikes a chord with you and it's very hurtful. Are we able to show mercy in those circumstances? Are we able to let it go? And not just here in the church, at work. Maybe there's that person that is, you know, just kind of a bit different from the others. You know, the person who doesn't maybe quite fit, who has their quirks. And most of us are thinking of that person right now, you know. And if you can't think of anybody, it's probably you, just saying. Um, how patient are we? with those people? How do we, you know, let mercy flow into their lives and not treat them, not be dismissive of them when we interact, not to hold them as at arm's length and just kind of be like, ugh, don't want to deal with this. Do you show mercy in that way to people? Another way to show mercy is to do good, you know, to those who hurt you. The Bible tells us, what benefit is it if you do good to those who do good to you, right? Everybody can do that. But we are called as Christians to go further. The Bible tells us in Luke 36 verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Again, this is for the enemies. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. When we are hurt, the tendency is to lash out, to punish, to have justice, to give out judgment. And it's understandable, right? I've been hurt. But God calls us to something different, something higher, something sometimes painful to do. But that is our calling. And there is blessing in that, to show mercy to those who hurt us to not turn the cold shoulder. You know, like sometimes we do this thing as Christians where, okay, we wouldn't punish because we want to be Christians. But from that point on, that person receives the cold shoulder from us. When they come into a conversation where we are, we get quiet or we retreat silently. We, you know, you just distance yourself just a little bit, but enough that is noticeable. Because you, or you give the silent treatment, you know, in relationships, you know, it can be that you wake up in the morning and you start giving just one word responses, you know, to the person. Just like, how are you? Fine. Yeah. And uh, all the passive aggressive behavior. That is not mercy. 
The Bible tells us that we need to go further than that. We need to love our enemies and do good to them, lend without expecting back. That, in, that requires engaging, re-engaging. Are you merciful to those who hurt you? Another way of showing mercy is by giving people another chance. Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Peter, uh, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times enough? Now the rabbis of the day thought, thought that you had to forgive people you know, up to three times, you know, and after that it was enough. So with seven, Peter was being generous. Like, okay, I've doubled that and add one for good measure. And Jesus tells him, no, 70 times seven times which again is just a metaphor for uncountable number of times, like how we would say today, thousands of times. How many strikes do people have with you? Is it one strike and they're out? Or are you willing to give people another chance the same way we receive that mercy from Christ to get another chance and another and another and we fall short and come back and we get another Of course, we are not to abuse the grace of God. We are not to sin so that grace may abound. And of course, I know, you know, in relationships, there are caveats. There are things where, yeah, it's maybe not always as clear-cut. But I challenge you to think about it deeply. Because for the most part, we just make an excuse. Because it's easier to say, okay, I'm done. I'm going to hold this person at arm's length. And I'm doing this because it's been one too many times and it's enough now, you know, I've fulfill my Christian duty. And again, yeah, there are situations which might be special, but more often they are not, they are not. Are you willing to give people another chance to reconnect with you, to, after they hurt you, for example, or after they fall short in something that they did, they didn't measure up in a job, or whatever? Mercy is letting people have another chance. Mercy is also valuing relationships instead of rules. You know, that's not to say rules are good. You know, living in the society which we live in, I think we know there's an abundance of those. And for me also, you know, from my, the school I went to, which I told you about, was a very strict one. So there were rules. The day was regulated from 5 a.m. when we woke up to 10 p.m. when we went to bed. Where you had to be, what you had to be doing, how you had to be doing it. And so this is one point where, for me, it's an area of growth as well. Because being a good you know, student or a good Christian at that point, in that context, meant following the rules. But then I've had to learn. Valuing people, valuing relationships over rules is another way of showing mercy. And we saw that last week in the woman who was caught in adultery and brought in front of Jesus and put on display before the people. By the law, which Jesus said he came to fulfill, she was to be stoned to death. But Jesus valued her more. In the story of the prodigal son which we read, the father would be in his rights to put the boy as a servant or not even accept him back because he had squandered his birthright. But he valued him more. How do you in your everyday life value people more than rules.
How do you value relationships more than rules? Are you willing to be kind to people who are hurting instead of sticking to the rule or what is accepted? We see it also in the story of the leper who Jesus heals. You know, and the Pharisees were all watching to see if Jesus would break that rule because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, no work was supposed to be done. And so Jesus you know, asked them, if your donkey or your ox fell in a ditch, wouldn't you pull it out? And what much more of this one whom the Father loves? In the same way, when Jesus' disciples were hungry on the Sabbath and they went through the field and they picked uh, fruit or seeds and they were eating them and the people criticized them for it. And Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Again, it's not to say that rules are unimportant or that we should go about breaking rules, but that we should value them more, value people more than we value the rules. And God will give us wisdom in the context how we can apply that, how we can choose to preserve people's dignity, to treat people with mercy rather than sticking to a rule for the sake of the rule most of the time. It's just because it is written and we do it that way rather than looking at the person in front of you and saying, how can I help? And lastly for today, we show mercy by building bridges to those on the outside, to those who are not in the inner circle, to those who are not connected. And that happens everywhere. There are circles everywhere. Here at church, when we say amen to the benediction, we go off to the people we know already, to the people who we've been friends with. But there's people who come who are new and they stand around. Are you willing to sacrifice that joy? And which is a good thing. I love seeing the people that I've not seen all week. But to say, no, I'll go talk to this person who's standing by themselves there. To say hi, to make them feel welcome, to engage with them. Because, yeah, it's like, ah, oh, just go to the one who I already know. There's no getting to know, no small talk. But are you willing to show that mercy? And it happens even here at IBCD. If you just open your eyes, you would see every time. And even in Corona, there's people who are new who have come. And sometimes I sit and I notice myself, I'm caught up with, you know, packing the microphones or doing something else. And I'm like, is this really the most important thing? That was the challenge God's Spirit just put in me at, you know, some weeks ago. Is this more important than the person who is standing there and no one is talking to them? The microphones can wait. Do you build bridges to those who are not connected, to those who are on the outside? At work is the same thing. We all have people at work who are not in the inner, who are not in the inner circle, who don't get the invites to the you know, cool parties, to the, you know, all the things, and they're kind of on by themselves. Are you willing to reach out and extend a hand and welcome people into fellowship? That is mercy. There are many other ways to show mercy. And I challenge you, if you would pray to God and just ask him to open your eyes in your everyday life, you would see countless opportunities to be merciful to those around you. You might say, this sounds like a lot of work. And yes, it is. It takes effort. It doesn't happen automatically. Of course, there's people who are more gifted in certain things than others or who it comes more natural to. But being consistently merciful takes conscious effort. But we are called to do it. And why? Well, we are commanded to. 
Why should we show mercy? The Bible tells us in Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God commands us, and that is enough. But we have more reasons to. Because we ourselves are in need of mercy. Because mercy without, judgment without mercy would be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So every time you are struggling with an act of mercy, every time you feel, you know, as they say in German, the inner Schweinehund, you know, that kind of, I don't want to do anything, just let me be. And you feel God convicting you. Go. Be merciful. Reach out. Take a time to reflect on how much mercy you have received from God and how much mercy you will need from God. And that should give you enough motivation. And when we are merciful, we are blessed by it. The Bible tells us, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. When you've been in a place where mercy abounds, where people are allowed to make mistakes, be it your work environment or your living community or here at church or any churches you've been, you notice the atmosphere is different. People are allowed to bring themselves. People are allowed to try. People are allowed to grow because there's space for them. There's mercy abounding. And we are all blessed by that. We are all encouraged. We are all uplifted by that. Let us show mercy. What does God require of you? To act justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the reminder that we need to show mercy because you have shown us mercy first. Father, we pray that even as we go about our week, may your word take root in our heart and grow so that may we live it out instead of just hearing it and doing nothing and thereby deceive ourselves. Pray, O oh God, for all who are listening to your word today and if there's any who have not known you as personal Lord and Savior, that, Father, you would bring conviction to their souls. You would bring them conviction of sin, of righteousness, and judgment and that they may come to you to receive the mercy which you have so abundantly prepared for us. Pray, O oh God, that you would help us to shine your light so brightly that the world would see our good works and glorify you in heaven. May your name be praised forever. In Jesus' name, amen.